We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel, the first verse, verses 7 through 14. I'll read this while all of you are glad it's not your phone that's ringing. <laughs> on one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he said to them, said to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Debbie Thomas tells a delightful story about her father when he was a child. Her grandparents attended faithfully a church in rural India, and they had a custom that the ministers of the church and the elders of the church would go home with them for Sunday dinner. But in rural India, there was precious little food, and fixing rice and curry over a wood stove took time. That and the social etiquette was that the men of God ate first. Debbie tells about her father, who was four years old, did not like this arrangement because it meant he waited a long time for food. And on one Sunday, he'd been shooed out of the kitchen about a dozen times, and finally he just lost it. And he burst into the room with all these honored guests, and he yelled at them with his hands on his hip, get out! Hurry and leave so I can eat. Debbie Thomas said of this incident with her four-year-old father, I think Jesus would have relished this story because he wasn't known for his politeness around food. Jesus got a lot of dinner invitations, but you sometimes have to wonder, why did he keep getting invited? He was a rude guest. But on this occasion, he's invited to dinner for a Sabbath meal. But he's under the scrutiny of religious hawks, circling, waiting for some field mouse move so they can attack. But Jesus is watching back. And his searching eyes fall on a man with dropsy. And our own Dr. Marilyn Sanders has explained to me that dropsy was congestive heart failure with all of its life-limiting properties. 
And into the silence of their watching each other, Jesus cracked a verbal whip. Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath? And the silence resumed. But everybody knows what they're thinking. Why can't you wait till tomorrow? Why besmirch the Sabbath? I know. Years ago, I hurt my back. I had unrelenting pain for four months. And if somebody said, I can fix that, but you gotta wait till tomorrow lest my God be displeased. I would have thought their God cruel, unworthy of any worship. Jesus healed the man, sent him on his way. And then he again breaks their silence with a question. Suppose you have a child that falls into a well. Okay, not a child. Then what about an ox? Suppose an ox falls into the well. Don't you get to get him out of the well, even if it's a Sabbath day? And they have no response because the answer is obvious. Of course they would. But hanging in the air is the notion that leaving a child or an ox in the well to drown fouls their own water supply, poisons their, sor their source of life and livelihood. With his question, Jesus is saying, your legalism is killing you. Jesus keeps on watching. Like Yogi Berra once said, you can observe a lot by watching. So he observes how they choose where to sit. And my assumption now is that the Pharisees invited other Pharisees and other bigwigs, like we do, inviting our own kind. And their position at dinner gave all notice that just how honored they were. Theirs was a struggle for social standing, a competition for esteem. But Jesus said if someone commits an oops and sits in the wrong place, then the host might bring great shame to you by asking you to sit somewhere else because you don't belong there. And what for us as a faux pas was for them a matter of great shame because they lived on a continuum of shame and honor. It's a painful thing even in our society to claim a place, to try to claim a place for yourself and be told you don't belong there. And then Jesus says to them, those who exalt themselves are humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Really? Do you write a resume like that? Do you network with people like that? Do you know of any jobs I'm not qualified for? Jesus is not talking about this false humility that denigrates our abilities and our value. He's holding up for them, wants them to see that their pride-filled scramble for, to be honored. He wants them to see it. He wants to see how it exposes them to shame and loss, to see that this competition makes for shallow relationships, that it makes for expendable friendships, all for the hallow honor. He's inviting them and us to see ourselves closely and honestly, clearly. 
The invitation is to rise above cultural demands. He wants them to stop looking at themselves and to see others, not as competitors, but as people to value. I'm going to date myself now because many of you weren't even born when this took place. In 1973, back right after the crust of the earth had just cooled, <laughs> I was graduating from Southern Seminary. While we were in seminary, Mary Helen had given birth to our first daughter, Jennifer. And in the spring of 73, before graduation, I had some errand to run in Norton Hall, that big thing you see as you go past. Uh, on Lexington Road that's not the chapel. I had our seven-year-old daughter in my arms walking down that hallway. And you could hear snatches of conversations you went down the hallway as folks I'd been to school with and competed with for grades were talking about, what did you get in that class? What did you get in that class? Oh, you only got a B. Hmm. What church are you going to? I'm sorry, no church has called you yet. The conversations were comparative and competitive but they seemed normal to me. But what I also noticed was that nobody noticed my seven-month-old daughter. And she was all the world to me. And then Dr. Glenn Henson came walking down the hallway. And if you don't know Glenn Henson, I am sorry that you don't know him. A doctor twice over, one who lectured his history classes without notes, one who, if he was here for our gospel reading this morning, would quietly pull out his Greek New Testament, and he would understand it. He came down the hall, and his eyes locked on Jennifer, and he started making little goober faces with no dignity at all, gave a little childlike wave. And with his look, this most highly respected teacher recognized the value I carried in my arms. Jesus is saying, look up from your crazy quest for honor and see others. Humility is this ability to see each other and genuinely celebrate that person their gifts, their achievements, their beauty, their very being, and not feel the need to put down or compete. And the humble shall be exalted because humility that celebrates others creates all kinds of channels for our joy. Because humility feeds the community with peace. Because humility feeds others with a place to belong, where no one, where no one comes and says, you don't belong here. On the other hand, self-seeking competitive pride fouls the community well and poisons all of us. Then Jesus says to the host, and I can't believe what he says to the host, Your party is so bad, why don't you throw a party that's the exact opposite of the one you got going? Why not throw a party where you don't invite friends and family and rich people? 
Why don't you invite people who have no careers, who have no social networks, who, who don't even have good health? How about inviting people who do not seek places of honor, but just some way to survive? How about inviting people who are blamed for their illnesses? How about inviting people who are too poor to invite you back to their houses, if indeed they have a house, or if indeed they even have any food? That would be a celebration. People without a place would have a place. Jesus tells them this to remind them that their role as religious leaders is not to acquire such a lofty place of honor that all you can do is look down. But our job is to get, get low enough that we can see the other eye to eye, face to face. You may have heard the news story this week about the IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. <clears throat> a customer went in and told the manager there was a homeless man sitting on the lawn out front. And the manager named Urquhart went to check on this homeless man. The homeless man saw him come and said, no, I, hey, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. But Urquhart said, no, no, no. I just want to make sure you're okay. The man said, yeah, I'm just tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm lonely. Urquhart said there was a little voice inside of him that said, you need to get to know this man. And so he sat down on the grass with him, got low enough to be eye to eye, not standing over, and they talked. And Urquhart brought him food and coffee. And Urquhart would say of this, this brief instance, he said, the next time you pass a homeless person, don't ever forget that could easily be you. Jesus invites us to kinship with the folks at the other end of the social spectrum. He invites us to see each other, to see the sacred in the other, to see God in each other. Sometimes our gods are so high and lifted up that we don't see all the variety of God in each other. And he wants us to celebrate, have a party. Michael Coffey writes a blog of poems and reflections, one he calls Parable of the Dinner Party. She entered the party like a caped queen, her heels lifting her up to thinner air, almost to where she wanted to be. She saw the table spread with boutique finery, charcuterie and artisanal cheeses and duck liver pate, and red and white bubbling wine for every course. She approached the gathering and saw on the far end the out-of-fashioned, the rough-handed, the wrong-spoken, the servants and migrants who picked the butter lettuce. On the near end, she saw well-labeled suits, handbags with leather and metal clasps, that look of confidence in the eyes of the highly educated. And she saw one chair near those of her own kind. And she sat and mingled and sipped wine and laughed controllably 
and knew which fork to use for the appetizer. The host came and thanked her for taking a seat at this inn and assured her, warm-voiced, that someday she too could join him at the other end. Amen. Oh,